Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. So the first thing is to like start to do one-on-one coaching, right? Because you intimately know what the fears, the concerns, the questions that that person is asking. And yeah, you're answering it. You're doing the coaching thing. But you also have a side gig, which is to write down every little thing that that person is feeling and thinking and to eventually build that, build it out into a more um, scalable form, which is like an e-course, like a curriculum, like, kind of like a like a living textbook, whether it be podcasts, audio, video, or, you know, eventually you put it behind a paywall site, right? This is to, to start to build that more higher level curriculum. Welcome back. I hope your week's been just awesome so far. If you haven't heard my recent conversations yet with financial coach and founder of The Money Panel, Catherine Morgan, and with Audrey Holst of Fortitude and Flow, then do go check them out. But only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. I'm really excited today to welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Lane Kawoka. Lane currently owns over 4,500 units across the US. He lives in Hawaii and recently quit his day job as a professional engineer to focus on his investment portfolio. Lane partners with investors who want to build their portfolio but are too busy to mess with tenants, toilets and termites, as he says it, by curating opportunities with his Hui Deal Pipeline Club where his investors have personal access to him and know that Lane is personally putting his money on the line too. That pipeline club has acquired over $500 million of real estate by syndicating over $60 million of private equity since 2016. Lane reverse engineers the wealth building strategies that the rich use, and he presents that via his Top 50 Investing podcast, simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane's mission is to help hardworking professionals out of the rat race, one free strategy call at a time. In our conversation today, Lane talked to me about the importance of creating content to educate. We talked about producing a podcast by answering common questions. And we talked about how to grow a community program by starting with one-to-one coaching and documenting the lessons learned. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Lane Kawoka.
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from beautiful Honolulu, Hawaii, Lane Kawoka, who owns over 4,500 rental units, and he also runs his business, simplepassivecashflow.com, which helps people invest in real estate and teaches people how to do it in a way that Lane has learnt over his years of experience. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Lane. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Hey, thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Aloha, yeah. Now, you've got an engineering degree and you kind of put that aside and went into the real estate business. You um, use the knowledge of engineering to reverse engineer the wealth building strategy. So you're very focused on building strategies as an engineer and um, strategies that people, uh, rich people use to get into you know, property or, or increase their wealth and grow their wealth. You've also got a top 50 investing podcast at simplepassiveflow.com and you run a coaching business for people wanting to invest in real estate. So really interesting to explore all of those things in a lot more detail. But before we do that, what, what impact are you making in the world today, Lane? Um, yeah, just trying to teach people how I did it, right? A lot of this stuff is very repeatable. We, we kind of work with more passive investors. So I think everybody hears about flipping houses, wholesaling houses in real estate. I mean, that's all what you do when you don't have money, right? But when I started as an engineer, I had a good paying day job. And much like a lot of people out there who are good with their money and make, make a good professional wage, it's better to passively real estate and is very repeatable and can be done passively on the side on, on top of a busy busy day job and a full family. Mm -hmm. So it's more you're more about acquiring valued assets that generate an income through rental and basically starting off with capital that you earn in, in the day job. Right, right. You know, like real estate investing, you need money to invest. If you don't have money, well, you need money. Right? And there's <laughs> lots of ways you can make money out there, right? I mean, you know, if you're in credit card debt, you can't seem to save more money than you make, or you may need to make more money. You know, those are problems I can't help out with, right? But if you have a good paying day job, you're able to save money, or you have a very successful business, which you've kind of built your wheel successfully and it's kind of off and rolling. Now, passive real estate investing is a great way to invest for the long term, to generate cash flow, and especially for like the tax benefits that come along with it. Hmm. All right. Now, you started investing in real estate at a very early age. And what are some of the big lessons you learned along the way there? Yeah, I think the, the first thing that kind of sets up Part, a lot of people, um, like I said, there's a lot of wholesalers and flippers. Most people think of real estate investing, they think of what happens on TV and the slipper shows. Completely not what we do, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. That, a lot of that stuff is very exciting and kind of fun to watch, but yeah. you know, the stuff that we but do just, very... just for people that may not understand the term flipping, that's where you buy a property, you then renovate or add value to it in some way through um, usually investing more money into that property or a lot of time and hard work, right? And then and then it depreciates in value a lot more because you've added that value and then you sell that it. it. 
That is correct. What we're trying to do here is buy assets that produce us cash flow on a monthly basis. So one of the biggest things I think that, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive to what most people think is we won't buy in places that you would normally think of. So, for example, when in America here, we don't buy in places like California, Hawaii, New York, Boston, Seattle. These are primary markets where the numbers just don't work there. And just for folks listening, you know, it, a lot of this is very simple. Uh, we look at this thing called the rent-to-value ratio. We're looking for something 1% or higher. How do you find the rent-to-value ratio? Well, you take the monthly rents divided by the purchase price, and you're looking for that 1% ratio or higher. So, for example, you know, a lot of the place we'll start people off with is buying little $100,000 houses, which is actually the median house price here in America, believe it or not. I didn't believe it when I first thought of it. I thought, you know, living living in Hawaii and then Seattle, I thought houses were at least half a million dollars that mm. were two twenty five hundred a month, which would be a half a percent rent value ratio. But most people live in houses that are hundred thousand dollars, two to three bedrooms, and they spend about a thousand dollars a month per rent. Right? So a thousand divided by hundred grand is at one percent. That's the magic ratio that we need to kinda of get get cooking with this stuff. Hmm. And that's a monthly one percent, so that's a twelve percent per annum annualized return, right? Which is Well not not necessarily, better. right? I mean of course you're gonna have to you're gonna bring in twelve thousand dollars of revenue per per year or per yeah, per year. But you're gonna have to pay a lot of expenses just like any other business mm. out there. There are some other rules called the fifty percent rule where you assume fifty percent of that is gonna to go to your repairs, maintenance, taxes, insurance. You might have some vacancy in there. Um and you know, after the one percent rule, what you'd wanna do is, you know, I mean people can go to my website, download my free property analyzer at simplepassingcashflow.com slash analyzer. There's a little tutorial video there, but now you start to dig into the little line items on all the expenses. Right? One of the big things is we always hire a professional third-party property manager to do our log dirty work for us. We don't want to interact with tenants. Like we don't want to be landlords here. Right? Yeah. We outsource that out, and a lot of times that will, that will take away ten percent of the rents right there. But it's well worth it. Yeah, because of the time you save, and also dealing with landlords, uh, dealing with. Um renters as you say you know i mean there might be worst case scenario you might have to evict somebody and that's quite unpleasant the professional property managers know how to do it i've got over six thousand rental properties that i own and i don't know how to do an eviction dude. right like i don't know how to fix a toilet mm. right we hire professional property managers to take care of a lot of that stuff for us and, and they kind of act also as kind of that liability uh, air gap between me and, and the tenants too yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, so you started off an investing portfolio, and then I'm guessing that people saw that you were being successful with that, and you seemed to know what you were doing, and asked you to ask you for your advice, and asked you to um, help them get started as well. Is that how your mentoring business got started? Yeah, I mean, I was investing in real estate. I mean, I bought my first property in 2009. And I was just doing my own thing, working my day job on the side as an engineer. Um, all the, you know, 2015, I had 11 rentals. But then, like you said, a lot of my friends would ask me, like, you know, how are you buying these places in Birmingham or Atlanta? You know, you don't visit them. 
right? I know you're not visiting them. No, mm. um, I have, you know, I, I, I build relationships with people on the ground, property managers, etc. And, you know, you explain things to your friends and nobody takes action. So you get a little frustrated. So I just made a podcast and recorded a lot of the teachings, a lot of the common questions people would ask me over and over again. So I wouldn't have to repeat the damn thing again and again. And that was how the start, the podcast started back in 2016. I mean, a lot of the first uh, dozen podcasts were about, well, how do you buy a remote rent property? And then over the years, I mean, it helped a lot of people. A lot, you know, I, I got a lot of emails saying, you know what? Like I listened to those first podcasts and you know, they really were helpful. I went and bought a rent property. Um, and then that's where I started to get momentum. I was like, wow, people actually listen to this thing. And at that time I was becoming, you know, I was, I was starting to buy apartments, right? I was getting out of the little single family homes into larger deals. And then more as an accredited investor, you kind of go through a transformation. Right? It's not so much about investing in real estate. And you're still doing that, but you're taking more of a hands-off approach and you're focusing more on taxes, legal structures. Um, another thing that we'll do is infinite banking, right? That's another thing that the wealthy do. And I started to join different masterminds and groups and kind of learn from people that were half a step ahead of me. And what I realized is a lot of these secrets that the wealthy do, it's nothing that you and I or anybody listening can't implement, which is very counterintuitive to like a lot of the wealth building dogma that is already out there. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack there, um, but I, I really like, I mean, for anybody listening, there's a golden nugget in there just hidden away that when you said, you know, you started a podcast by answering the most common questions that your friends and, and other people that you came into contact with were asking you about your area of expertise. So there's, I mean, everybody has people asking them about their area of expertise and, you know, how did you do that and how did you achieve this? And so there's content immediately for whether it's a podcast or blog posts. Right. I mean, all you're trying to do is you're just, you're just asking answering people's questions, right? Pulling your audience. Mm. You may not have an audience when you're starting out, but you know, you probably have friends and family around you that have asked you this kind of the same questions over and over again. I mean, that's just give people what they want, right? And add value to people. And that's kind of the start of anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous advice. Now, it sounds like then that the podcast was kind of the first thing you did when you kept getting these questions and, and you felt people weren't taking action on your advice. So you kind of put the podcast out and then people approached you from the podcast to get some more assistance. Um, yeah, I mean, so the podcast went on for uh, maybe three or four years and the, the viewership just kept on going up and up and up. Uh, at this time, I was editing all the podcasts, doing it all myself. And, and if anybody has heard of like that three the third season rule you know i guess <laughs> you watch any tv show i mean it takes probably three you know and people are like well have you heard of that show right and most times that happens to the kind of the, the growing masses it's usually about the third season right mm -hmm. you missed out on the first one or two seasons where things are really getting the buzz and traction so you know that kind of happened for me about year three or four and um you know, it kind of started to the investments that I was doing made me money. I eventually quit my engineering job, focused on the stuff full time. And then 
realized I need to kind of build teams to kind of help me with you know podcast production and outsource a lot of the the, um, the mundane tasks out. Mm-hmm. So, so at that point, you decided that this was a full time business, not just the real estate investing that you did yourself in your own portfolio, but helping other people to achieve success investing in real estate as well. Yeah, I mean, it was always a, a slow transition. I mean, when I first started investing in 2009 to 2015, when I only had 11 rental properties, I mean, I would have been fine just keep working my day job. You know, I kept on going to easier, easier jobs as my career progressed as and <laughs> passive cash flow started to go up. Um, but then I started to do larger deals and I started to bring in investors alongside with me. And at that point, that was kind of the trigger where, you know, it's just a little irresponsible to kind of not be a true professional, which is to spend mm. all your time on it. Right. I, I think, I think for a lot of people, it may make perfect sense to just keep doing it as a side gig. But, you know, my decision was, you know, it, it was kind of taking that next step on. It was kind of like my duty to the investors to kind of quit my day job. Yeah. Yeah. And also my passive income, you know, was high enough where I really didn't have to do the engineering gig anymore too. Hmm. Yeah, well, again, there's, um, you know, for anybody starting out any business, there's some great advice there. And I like that, you you know, you didn't just cut the umbilical cord to that um, corporate job straight away. You said, well, you know, I'm my income from my side gig, as it was then, um, is is surpassing what I'm earning here. So I'll just take an easier job that's less demanding and of course it pays less but that's okay so you transitioned out of it you didn't you didn't sort of jump yeah i mean i i think people who take the jump i mean that's that's cool and i think a lot of people talk about it but i definitely would not recommend that for most people i mean i mean most people starting a business are not successful period right let's face Mm. it it's 2021 if you have entrepreneur in your linkedin title we know you can't find a real job, right? Not fooling <laughs> anybody. Um, I mean, get proof of concept. And the other cool thing is, while you're working a side gig or working a full time day job, it gives you the money to fund your, you know, your paying professionals, mm. and then you're lean on your time. You don't have all the time in the world, which you'd think would be a bad idea. But the fact that you're short on time allows you to create very lean systems and practices. So that when you do cut the umbilical cord, you do go full time. Now you're just off and rolling because you've had these SOPs built up already. You've built very lean practices. Hmm. Yeah, that's another piece of great advice. So get those systems and processes in place even before you go full time. Um, and as you say, you're sort of forced to do it at that point because you don't have the time to spend in that side gig as it grows until you until you leave the other employee right yeah um i get one of the things i'm curious about and maybe this speaks to some of the points you've made around systems and processes and getting assistance getting people to help building a team around you um over four and a half four thousand two hundred properties is it um, how do you keep track of all those properties and their financial performance? Because I'm guessing you you actually kind of look at financial performance quite in detail as an engineer. I mean, it's it's a lot easier today, right? Is when we, we were doing little 50 unit properties you know, under a thousand units. That was when it was the hardest. That's when we were all doing it on our own. 
today we're able to hire you know smart college grads to kind of do all that stuff for us you know we'll use different um, property managers some in-house mostly outsourced third party to kind of take over the management um, of a lot of that type of stuff um, and luckily in our business you know property management is a very archaic type of profession a lot of the key performance indicators that we drive to that we pay performance on um, are very aligned with what we want as property owners or you know, investors. So we're kind of lucky in that respect, right? This is not like a, a new business where you're kind of making up KPIs as you go along to drive performance. Mm -hmm. So you would get standard reports from property managers on a regular basis and... and that, that's, that's correct. I mean, and, and then also like the type of business where in like, our business plan is to go and buy stabilized assets. So that's defined as 90% occupied or more and they're cash flowing day one. So it's not mm -hmm. like, it's not like we're going into distress assets, right? It's already, we're, we're, you know, already buying like a lemonade stand that's cooking up, cooking out good profits for us. Now there's always like a value add strategy. So we'll typically go in and rehab the units very lightly. So new flooring, new appliances, jobs and playground equipment outside and um, the bump the rents up slightly and we're only doing that naturally as tenants move in and out so it's a very like some people call it putting lipstick on a pig and as mm. far as construction and scope and risk i mean it's very like minimal risk um and it, it that the for what i'm saying is like the properties kind of run themselves you know maybe five percent of the time you know, one out of 10 or two, you know, two, one out of 20 of the properties, they start to kind of give us problems. And that's when we kind of get more involved and kind of get, you know, you know, everybody talks about like the 80-20 rule. Well, it's more like the 595 rule, <laughs> in my opinion, obviously. Yeah. And, and you mentioned building a team around you to take on some of the activities and starting that very early on before you even left the corporate job. Um, how how did you go about bringing a team on board? And at the very beginning, um, how did you kind of set a culture that you wanted to have in that team as you grew it? I mean, we we might be lucky to be in a field where we can hire professional property managers, and the vendors, the property managers out there, are very plentiful, right? Uh, you know, depending what kind of business, you may not have that built out. Um, it it is also maybe not the greatest for us because it kind of lowers the barrier to competition. Anybody could come in and, you know, get a property manager on board and have them take over their 100, 200 unit apartment complex. Um, they need to pony up with some serious cash to do that, right? There, that isn't in like a barrier to entry. But as far as operation, you know, it's, it's, it was pretty simple for us to go around, interview the best candidates, put them in the seat and see how they do. Of course, you know, we've kind of fired a gone through a few of these property manager firms throughout, throughout the time but you know that's always kind of uh you know ebb and flux you know we probably won't stay with the people that we're with now um it's going to be constant kind of hmm. churn of people but you know the for the most part that's a lot of our overhead is is outsourced kind of or yeah. contracted out in this way um we do have some in-house positions or on the admin marketing operations um, internal operations side, but you know, I think that what we're planning to do there is you know, we, we hire really smart people, 
high level 100k plus salaries and implement the contractors. I mean, this is no different when I was, I was in construction management operations. Um, you know, totally different industry, right? Not mm-hmm. nothing to do with real estate, but a lot of the things that we would do is that we would keep the in-house management or management in-house, right? But we would hire a lot of contractors because things would always be changing, especially when you're taught working with more tech technology things that keep changing. Right? Mm. Sure, you're overpaying, but at least you don't have to keep that overhead. You can kind of be very nimble in terms of how you're approached to things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another another real great tip. There is you know the lessons you've learned in in your past experience that you know work really well are transferable. Right, right. I mean, like I, we had a lot of day laborers and like construction. Um, you know, you always need somebody to operate machinery and equipment, right? So that's what you hire in house. But you know, some of the more technological components of the system, you know, like signals and you know computers and stuff like that, those would be more mm-hmm. ideal to line up to be contracted out or get consultants to kind of manage that alongside with your management teams that with your operations, but. Everybody, business is different, right? But, you know, that may be a good way to kind of put a lens on on the whole system. Hmm. All right. Well, it's great. Now, um, you've also built a community um, of people that kind of you work with to teach them investing in real estate and also to help them invest in, in kind of group mentoring or group coaching. Way. How did you get started with building that community, and what what were some of the keys to growing that? Yeah, I mean, here here's what my coach told me when I kind of started to do all this stuff, um, and what I still agree is, you know, people who are trying to do this in their whatever, probably not real estate, whatever brand of line you guys are in, but first thing is, you know, kind of just start creating content, asking answering those questions that people keep hmm. coming up you're probably in the master mode or getting there. So this is what makes it hard when you're in master mode. You don't know what those first questions that people are asking are. You think it's second nature, right? Like when we started this podcast, it kind of screw off like wholesaling, flipping, and you know, you, you, you're kind of insightful enough to kind of call, oh, what, here's what flipping is, right? It's a great example of kind of, I just kind of steamroll through things. I don't explain it uh, fully to my audience. Um, so the first thing is to like start to do one-on-one coaching, right? Because you intimately know what the fears, the concerns, and questions that that person is asking. And yeah, you're answering it. You're doing the coaching thing. But you also have a side gig, which is to write down every little thing that that person is feeling and thinking. And to eventually build out, build it out into a more um, scalable form, which is like an e-course, like a curriculum, kind of like a like a living textbook, whether it be podcasts, audio, video, or, you know, eventually you put it behind a paywall site, right? This is to, to start to build that more um, higher level curriculum. And then once you, once I did that for maybe about a, a couple of years, I, then I started to do group coaching. Now, the group coaching is, I think it's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for you as the instructor, because now what you're able to do is teach people at scale. Right. Like today, I, do, I don't do one on ones because it's not worth it for me. And nobody's willing to pay, you know, $50,000, $100,000 price tag these days for like one on one coaching. And I don't want to do it, quite frankly. I only want to talk to people when there's more than multiple people. And that's where the group coaching format comes in. 
because now it's cheaper for everybody and I can get paid more money because it's more scalable. And also the, the added component, the bonus for everybody is now they get to have the peer group around them, right? Mm. People on the journey, build, especially with like investors, right? When you go above a million dollars net worth, your network is so much important. These are the people that you find deal flow from. You figure out who to not work with, right? These are the people you have those conversations with that, you know, in our world, like what's said a lot of times, like, like nobody talks about, like our parents never talked about money this way. All our friends are kind of doing the traditional, put your money into this retirement system that doesn't work. Nobody does alternative investments. So that's what we built this tribe of like-minded, high net worth investors. And, you know, it kind of goes along with the whole coaching thing. I mean, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And that's kind of like the stages I would, if I were doing it again or kind of coaching them, kind of building the pipeline, that would be kind of the high level way about putting it on together. Mm. Yeah, well, that makes absolute sense. And I really, I really like how you laid that out in a way that I think can be applied to any business. And, and certainly that there are a number of steps in that. And the first one, I think, you know, every so often I, I do things and, and I've got somebody with me and they say, oh, how did you do that? And it's like I first have to ask them, well, what, what is it that you mean? What's that? And because it's something that I did virtually unconsciously, you know, it might be something really trivial like um, um, a keyboard shortcut on the computer to do something. And you take, and that's a piece of knowledge you have, you take that for granted. Somebody else says, wow, that's brilliant. That's going to save me like 10 minutes every day. And then, you know, I'll have an hour saved in a week. That's brilliant, which is hugely valuable. And yet we ourselves have a lot of these things that we do and aren't even conscious that there's value in them for other people and if we teach them. So, yeah, great advice to start off with the one-on-one coaching. Um, if you have those moments, write them down, list that stuff and create content around it. Yeah, I mean, I would say add on to that. I mean, for just to use an example from our world, like when we're teaching people how to buy rentals for the first time, I mean, the common question would be like, well, would I go for a lender? You know, like, hmm. and then I'm like, for me, it's easy. It's like, well, dude, like all the lenders are the same. Just, you know, you're getting a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan. You can go to whoever, right? And really... You don't really want to go to whoever, you just work off referrals. So you ask around, or you can ask me. I'll just send you to the top three people all, everybody else goes to. Done, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, if somebody didn't have that leg up, they'd be wasting all their time. And what's worse, they would go to the people that would screw them over and just bait and switch them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something like that. I mean, you can't quantify. Yeah, you're saving time, but you're also like mitigating those risks and that's right, errors yeah. there. And, you know, the, the people always change. The best practices, especially for like taxes, always change, and that's where the network comes into play. Hmm. Yeah, and that community thing that you mentioned there—that's really important. I think you know people say that um, uh, people join these courses for the content, for the information, what they learn, um, but they stay for the community. And you're right. You know, the, I've seen this in, and I've seen good and bad communities, but the good ones. Not only are there quality people there, um, but they're really active and they're supportive of one another. So they want to see everybody succeed. They obviously want to succeed themselves, but they want to see everybody succeed. And also, I find, you know, by 
answering other people's questions in the community as one of the students, you actually reinforce your own learning. So there's kind of, it's it's almost right. a triple win. Hmm. Right. I mean, there's always somebody that asks, you know, a question and you're like, oh, that's a good question. I wish I would have asked that, right? And you get to get yeah. the answer too. Um, there's so many, I mean, it's just, it's a win-win all the way around, I think. Hmm. But there's the steps to get there, right? Unless you go to the individual coaching, you don't have, you're not in that mindset. And, mm. and even precluding that, you need to build up an audience, right? I mean, this is what took me three years of just doing a podcast every single week, building up that audience. Because if you don't build up the audience, nobody will do the one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. And therefore, mm. you have nobody to fill up a group yeah, with. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. All right. Well, this is fabulous, Lane. I was, um, you know, thought we could go down this rabbit hole of how to invest in property and so on and obviously there's there's far too much there to cover in just an hour but i think we've brought a whole lot of other value forward that people can apply across any business and of course if they're interested in investing in property and learning more about what you do we'll cover that a little bit later but i think it's a good time now to move on to the buzz which is our innovation round and it's the same five questions i ask of every guest the idea is that You'll share some tips from your experience and inspire the listener to go and do something awesome as a result today. Cool, cool. All right. Well, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Um, you may not be innovative, period, right? I mean, I think half of the people are executors, half of the people are innovators. You need to figure out which one you are, and if you're not, you need to find the innovator or the visionary. Hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. So if you if you don't believe you're innovative, that's perfectly okay. Go find somebody that is and work with them. Mm. Right. Love it. All right. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Um, I I think like calmness and still and being able to kind of let your mind wander kind of helps me. I'm more of the visionary type. I obviously can get things done, but I've kind of had the self-discovery that I need to hire other implementers around me. So, um, but, you know, so I've realized like my, my highest and best use is kind of thinking of these kind of ideas and the best way for me is to kind of get my head out of it, go on a walk, stop, you know, get off the computer seat hmm. and kind of just think of ways to in constantly improve the system, you know, 1% every day. You know, compiled over a long period of time is a big difference. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great advice. I mean, there's two bits of really good advice there. First of all, the uh, um, you know recognizing in yourself that your strength is as a visionary. So get people around you that that execute those visions and implement them. And the second one, the calmness thing. So going for a walk or so on. I find you know sometimes. Well, often I fall into the trap of oh, I've got to get this done and I come up against a barrier, so I just work harder to try and get through that. And occasionally I remember just go out for a walk, go out for a bike ride, go out and take my camera and go take some photos and go away for an hour and then when I return, everything just seems so much easier. All right, what's a favourite resource of yours that you use most often? Uh, I mean, if I don't know something, I'll Google it and get a YouTube video. I mean, if, yeah. 
I think the YouTube videos, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like if some mm. dude's willing to put together a video, edit it, upload it, I mean, that's a lot bigger barrier to entry than writing a blog article. It's so easy, right? I mean, there's so much yeah. garbage out there. I mean, just the YouTube video, I mean, just because of the barrier to entry, they tend to be better. So that's usually my first, my first point. And not, not only that, there's like the visual component too, right? But that's right. Yeah. That's kind of usually my first go to resource. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, exactly. I've I've learned so many things. So, you know, I've um done rebuilding of bike wheels. I've um done stuff on my bike that, you know, I never thought that I was capable of. I, it's simply by looking at YouTube and then having the tablet next to my work stand and um actually just following the steps that somebody's showing me on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Amazing. All right. What's the best way to keep a client on track? Um, probably don't do a good job of this. I mean, I always tell them, "Hey, man, you're it's your job to be. I mean, you need to be motivated to kind of ask the right questions. I mean, that's the, the the one thing I see between successful people and unsuccessful people is this: unsuccessful people just never ask really good questions. They want people to kind of do everything for them. Um, mm. Of course, you still, you know, you ask the right question, you have to follow through, right? But I think asking good questions gets you good answers. And I think that's a prerequisite to success. Mm. Yeah, I think asking good questions is um, an underutilized skill and probably an underdeveloped skill in a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I'll do new onboarding calls for free for newer investors. Uh, most times people have gone through the podcast, they've gone through the past, you know, we have a lot of coaching calls on the YouTube channel that people can just go through and just kind of vicariously learn through the, the viewpoints of different people at various network levels. Um, and they start to create questions, right? If not, not the stuff that all, all free on the website have kind of given them mm. free, you know, that answers obviously a lot of questions, but that kind of untraps more questions, more advanced, more personal questions. And I think that's when that, that excites me, right? Yeah. It's kind of frustrating when I work with somebody who just hops on an onboarding call and they're just totally oblivious. They just ask really basic questions. I get frustrated because they kind of waste my time. And you just kind of know already, right? The DNA of the person is they're just, this person is not going to get to it. Like this mm. person's just going to stay on the normal path as everybody else. I mean, you help you help people who who are able to put in the level of effort that you're looking to put put into. Yeah, that's a great advice. So I remind them why they're doing it, and then encourage good questions. Mm. Yeah, I mean the the reason why I kind of help people all this financial freedom stuff. I mean, for me, it's fun. I I, I kind of like solving puzzles. Everybody's a little puzzle, and I've kind of created a lot of systems to make it really easy for myself. Um, but you know, my my vision is, you know, you help enough people get the financial freedom, you get their oxygen mask on for them. And then now they start to act differently, right? They go from scarcity to abundance mindset. And they may help out somebody else in this world in a different way. Hmm. And if somebody is that type of person who will never really get themselves to a certain level, then it's kind of a waste of time. Like why? I, I, and it might be a little bit, you know, and it seems like I don't have a heart, but look, I'd rather help out. If I wasted all my time with one person, I probably could have helped out 40, 50 people in that time. Mm. Yeah, so so really 
work with motivated people, remind them why they're doing what they do. And I love the, you know, the, the philosophy of if you help one person um, achieve success, particularly financial success, then they're in a position to possibly help 50 other people or 100 other people. So you've got this butterfly effect or ripple effect throughout the world. All right. And the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Uh, be themselves. Don't just be another uh, talking head out there. I mean, people like to, people like people who kind of speak their mind. Of course, you got to kind of be careful in this day and age because everybody seems to get offended by every little thing out there. Um, <laughs> but then again, you know, life's short, right? People don't like you. Who cares? Hmm. Right? Yeah, I think that what you said then, if people don't like you, who cares? Um, I'm reminded of a saying, I don't know who said this first or who to attribute it to, but um, I just love it because it's like what people think of you is none of, yeah, what people think of me is none of my business. Yeah, I mean, people are too busy worried about them putting themselves in the mirror, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you know what, like when you're your true authentic self, there are people that are just like you out there. Like, I mean, I don't try to be, I'm not a doctor. I never went up into that type of stuff. Um, but I am, like, I went to college, right? I got a master's degree. I followed all this financial dogma they told me to do, and I went to work hmm. work my butt off. And then and then I kind of just passively invest in real estate. And that that aligns with a lot of people. Um, hmm. Kind of a long, long way, stoic way of doing things. And, you know, I mean, that's that's a lot of people personify for that. You know, I, I kind of ate a lot of ramen noodles when I was younger. It's really frugal. People, there's a lot of people like that. I I don't claim to like, I was never in credit card debt. I I, I, I didn't start from nothing. I mean, like hmm. we're not like a broke family growing up. We I had a college education. So I'm not going to lie to people and say I came from nothing. Yeah. But you know, like I kind of took what I had and I kind of worked up and I think that's something that a lot of people can identify with. And, you know, I'm not going to placate to, you know, just to get some people to kind of get on my bandwagon. Hmm. I'm just going to be me. Yeah, that's a, that's a really valuable point. And I sometimes think if because, because like you, I had a, you know, I didn't have a wealthy upbringing, but I never wanted for anything really. I mean, every. As a kid, of course, you'd say, you know, could I have that? And uh, you'd get money doesn't grow on trees and we can't afford that. But I went to university. I had an education. I was never hungry. I was never cold or yeah. house. I, I mean, even you know, if you're super, and... super rich, right? Like, I mean, we have some trust fund kids in our community and that's cool, right? Like, it doesn't matter where you came from. I mean, just own it. Right? Yeah. You were like yeah, a super right. rich kid who inherited a hundred million dollars and you want to do a podcast then own it yeah because yeah, there's right. people like you well maybe they're not maybe they're not they're not trying to listen to podcasts better than themselves but you know there's people like you yeah, well, yeah people are looking for connection these days yeah the point i was making though is you know that there's lots of people out there that do this you know i, I was hungry i lived on the streets i was poor and now look at me i own cars and i own yachts and you know I own lots of property, I'm wealthy. Um, and you, you kind of look at that and you say, well, that's not my background. 
So does that preclude me from becoming as wealthy or as successful as that person? You know, you sort of, I don't go through that consciously, but I, I bet there's an unconscious level of that thinking because you say, I can't identify with that person because I wasn't poor. I, I didn't grow up on the streets. Um, so I mean, we, therefore, we actually, I make it a point when I'm kind of talking, you know, giving, giving uh, speeches to folks. I tell them, like, look, if you're in credit card debt, you're coming up from nothing. This ain't the group for you, right? Mm. Most of our people in our group are successful business owners and have a lot of college education too much. Um, and they came from, you know, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class families too. I mean, it's it's not like a rags to riches story by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. And you know, that's just the, the, the tribe. Like, we... I think it makes sense to narrow cash to tribe as much as possible. Um, if people are like, you know, I talk to everybody, well, you talk to nobody. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's lots of, lots of great advice there. I mean, being yourself, I think you've given us some great examples of why that's so important to kind of own who you are and own your experiences and what makes you unique. And then also, you know, focusing in on who the people are that you can actually uh, connect with and help and who are part of your tribe so thanks for that all right now this has been fabulous where can people find out more about you more uh, more about the uh, simple passive cash flow and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today yeah um if people want to kind of learn more a lot of the stuff is free on the website if you're under quarter million dollars net worth not in credit card debt right not broke um you know, check out the the simple com slash turnkey just buy a little rental property right uh, i guess with that said if you are broke and you need to get your finances in order i'm probably not the guy to help you but i did create a basic financial e-course it's free if you guys want to download it at simple com slash basic or you can text the word basic to 314-665-1767 um, but most of the folks that we work with are high-paid professionals. Um, check out the website and then connect with me at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com if that's the case. And if you guys are podcast listeners, check out Simple Passive Cashflow, uh, Passive Real Estate Investing. Hmm, great. Well, there's lots of lots of uh, really valuable resources there that people can get for no, no cost and just learn a little bit more. And um, you've got Lane's email as well to reach out to him so we'll include all those links in the show notes of course so lane what parting advice would you like to leave our listener today uh get out and do something right um <laughs> figure out what, what you want to do and then go do a little bit of research and then ready fire aim and you know you, you don't learn by doing um too often i think see people are like well what's the next book i should read or what's the next podcast mm. i mean i think that you know the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with the right people and then just taking action and kind of make some slow incremental progress yeah and and your point about you know what's the next book and so on i think once you've once you've done some basic research taking action and then coming back and reading the next book um, makes it a lot more meaningful because now now you can relate it to your own experiences that's correct that's correct hmm. great all right finally lane who else should i get on this show and why um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't really follow anybody these days. <laughs> I just go out there and do my own thing. 
All right. Well, well, we'll touch base with you. Maybe maybe you'll introduce us to some other people after the show. So we'll um, follow up with that. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously today, Lane. This has been fabulous in terms of both learning some like some simple suggestions around real estate investing, but I guess you know people will, will have to dig into those resources you just mentioned to learn a lot more. But I think the idea um, from not just in the real estate industry, but in general, how to take your expertise, how to package it up into a podcast, into other content, um, building a community um, by starting off with mentoring one person and then learning and producing that uh, content and then, yeah, growing the business from there. And also the, the idea of outsourcing and getting a team around you. So thanks for sharing all of that and all the best for the future. And let's, let's stay in touch. Okay. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that engaging and really informative conversation with Lane and took something away from his episode. There were so many points for any business in this conversation, from creating a podcast by answering common questions to the importance of creating content, creating systems and processes, and building a team, as well as starting your community program and courses by documenting what you learn in your one-to-one coaching. I'd love to know what you took away from Lane's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Lane Kawoka. That is L-A-N-E-K-A-W-A-O-K-A or lowercase, or one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Lane Kawoka. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Lane, as well as links to the simple passive cash flow website, to Lane's social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. If you like this episode, please do share it with as many other people that you think it might help. And if you tag me in on that chair, I will reach out to you with a special thank you. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including entrepreneur and expert in creative problem solving and time management, Amanda Fergil, and host of the Making Sales Social podcast, Bob Woods. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.